This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Addictive Eaters Anonymous On Air. Welcome to Addictive Eaters Anonymous on Air, here on Plains FM. My name's Louise and I'm an addictive eater and the host of this show. This is an opportunity to share with you about how Addictive Eaters Anonymous works and to talk with an addictive eater who will share their experience of recovery from addictive eating. Well, how does AEA work? Sobriety in AEA is freedom from addictive eating and or mind-altering substances. AEA members achieve sobriety by sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other and living the 12-step program of recovery as a way of life by regular attendance at meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, keeping in contact with sober members and carrying the message of recovery. Members are freed from addictive eating and the obsession with food. At the heart of the AEA program is the spiritual concept of surrender. So I've got Leanne with me today, who is a member of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you. I've known you for quite a long time, and I'm always fascinated by your stories around controlling the food. Mm-hmm. I, I love that story about the packet of chips and you ate the chips a crinkle mm-hmm. at a time mm-hmm. that's fascinating can you talk a bit more mm. about controlling the food mm. yeah because I, I never was really overweight and um, a wee bit a, a wee bit overweight but my obsession was from the moment I woke up until I went to bed about food but it would be the fear of not having the food quite often and so yeah that I remember my grandmother giving us a packet of chips and they were, I think they were called Smith's chips. They had the big crinkles on them. I have other family who, um, I've got four siblings who would eat their packet of chips, just eat it, and I would eat a crinkle at a time, put put them away, bring them back out later, put them away, and my siblings have said how angry it used to make them because I'd still have that packet packet of chips a couple of days later. I'd be pulling it out and... And so it was just the taste in my mouth for that moment that would sustain me for that moment because, you know, I know that I'm eating to try and change something within myself. And I remember other times too, um, I remember as we were Catholics, my, my grandmother used to always give us lollies and we used to have to give something up for, for Lent and I think it's like five or six weeks or something and I always gave up lollies for Lent and I never ate a lolly in that five or six week weeks I'd, I wouldn't have done that because I wanted to have the control you know I wanted to show that I was had that willpower I would open the drawer and look at them and shut the drawer and yeah at the end of that time I'd be eating them and you know so I, I did used to have uh, binges on on food but yeah easter eggs another thing you know those icing easter eggs I just suck it and 
you know, make that Easter egg last a long, long time. But yeah, there was other times where I'd get food and I would just absolutely binge and eat big quantities of food. But it was always about having some food there. And I remember too, um, the older I got, the, the rules that I would have around food, you know, so I would, because it's, I was deluded that I was normal with food, I always thought I was, but I would think it's normal to have two pieces of toast for breakfast, but then I'd have another, and then I'd have a break, and then I'd have a very early morning tea, and I would have toast for morning tea, <laughs> and two pieces would be normal. Or if I was having biscuits, two biscuits, or maybe three biscuits. Um, and then lunchtime, very early too. And then I think, well, Dad has six pieces of bread for lunch, sandwich slice, so I'd have six pieces of toast, you know. I wasn't a very prepared, addictive eater. I would just eat things like toast with marmite, you know, and biscuits. And, you know, having two biscuits is normal. But then I'd buy the big giant ginger nuts, and that was t- having two would be fine in my mind because it was still two biscuits, so it's all this control around the food. So, Leanne, when you were growing up in your home, would you have looked to your mum like somebody that was eating differently? Would she have seen that there was something different about no, you? No, she would, have, she would have said Leanne's picky because with meat I was picky. Pick out the veins and things like that. But, she, no, she would have... But, but my family is a family of addicts, by the way, too. But we, we got given a meal, and we had to eat it, so there was sort of not really thinking about that. But I do remember lots and lots of times of sitting down to tea, and I could hardly eat it because... And I'm talking as I got a little bit older, especially in my early teens, because I'd actually been shoplifting food and stolen... I used to steal milk money, because you had money in the milk bottles in those days or tokens and swap them for money and I'd buy food and I'd eat it and hide it so I would lots of times eating a whole um, packet of fish and chips before dinner and then trying to eat my dinner I'd eat it so she wouldn't have noticed anything different it was very secret life I got food poisoning a few times from eating food that I'd hidden because it's always about having something available because if I didn't have something available I couldn't handle that so even as an adult you know if I was going for a walk for example I would have a muesli bar in my pocket because and I'd be handling it all the time because that's my comfort that's my you know I need it I need it so for me I remember one of the first times of going for a walk when I wasn't eating anymore once I was in recovery when I wasn't eating like I was and going for a walk out to an est- in an estuary so it's quite a long walk and you had to walk back and I never had any food in my pocket and I was terrified you know I was really I actually felt like I might faint because I was always used to having food somewhere close to me that's so interesting and so what was that fear about what what were you afraid of what could have happened I don't actually really know but but just that I needed something you know, I need to, and I'm multi-addicted as well. I know that that food addiction is a symptom of the disease, that the disease or the illness or whatever you call it is, is it's actually me and that food is a symptom to try and 
fix myself to try and make myself feel feel better. So there was other things that I abused alcohol and some some drugs, and I shoplifted. And this is as a teenager I shoplifted, but even actually into my early adulthood I shoplifted. I was always obsessed with some guy. You know the the relationship, the romance, the sex, the thinking about sex. If I if there's something nice, I was I was obsessed with it. Food was a big one. I remember as a teenager, my first job, I, I bought cookbooks. I don't know what other teenagers buy, <laughs> but I but there was these regular weekly cookbooks that you could sign up and get. I think it was called Carrier's Kitchen, and I got them. You know, and that's that's me as a 15 year old when I first worked. That's what I'm reading. You know, in my spare time away from work is recipe books, and that's not appearing to be odd to you no you're seeing that as as perfectly normal yeah in your mind you think everyone else probably is as interested as you are yeah Mm. I never I always knew there was something wrong with me but not I never thought that the food I never thought until it got worse because I know this this illness this disease progresses and until it got worse I didn't really realise... Well, I, I believe that I was born with this addiction. All of my family are addicted to something. Alcohol, drugs, and there's some other food addicts there too. So I always knew there was something wrong with me, but I never put it down to a substance. I, and the um, having two parents that were alcoholics, was kind of a red herring because for me, because I always knew there was something wrong with me, and I actually thought it was other people. And so, you know when you've brought up in an alcoholic home and there was family violence there and that sort of thing. I was always looking to fix myself by getting some therapy or something for this other life stuff that I thought. So I never thought that my eating was anything wrong with it or, or even um, my dishonesty, the dishonesty stuff that I did. I thought that, you know, if you had a life that I had, you know, you would do this stuff too. Not until I got here, yeah, that I well, because the food got worse, that I actually, when I look back and I think about all the abnormal things I did with food. Yes, it's often hindsight, my experience too. In hindsight, you see that you were completely abnormal yeah. but had no idea. And that's why I think the family thing was a red herring because mm. that was my focus when actually I've heard lots of people that are addicts that have completely normal upbringings and they mm. still have an addiction. They have addiction, they're ad- addicts. So if you'd taken all of that away, I was still odd. You know, I still was oversensitive. I was a perfectionist. I was either, I, I never really felt like I was just one amongst people. I either had to be less than, and I often thought I was less than, or better than. I could never work out how you talk with people. I couldn't work out how you have a relationship. Relationships particularly intimate ones, were obsessive. When I first started liking boys, absolutely obsessive. I didn't know how to actually be with people. It's either almost like take them hostage as a friend or I'm completely aloof and abrupt. I just didn't really connect. And so I know that that is addiction, you know, that there's a, that there's a range of things that make up an addictive personality and that the substance is a way to try to fix that and... So now I know that having a family that was addicts was not the problem. It's that I was born, and I know it's it is a with some families it's you have a predisposition to it. And I went and had assessments around that, you know, when I was trying to 
figure myself out in my 20s and I was told, you know, you've got a predisposition to addiction and I couldn't see it. I just thought that I was justified. But the food got worse, so that's a good thing. Absolutely. Otherwise mm. you probably would have continued along yeah. that path. Mm. When I first came into the fellowship, I remember hearing you share and I really identified about having, about being very up and down with your moods and mm-hmm. you must have gone and got hormone patches and your husband made a comment that there wasn't a hormone patch big enough to fix you. Yeah. And I related. Mm. It's really the amount of time that I spent, all of the courses that I did to try and fix myself because I wasn't happy with myself. I knew that my moods were not normal. You know, after initially getting married, I was married quite young and having babies and then just having these horrific mood swings. I was trying to find a solution for that too. So yeah, I went to the doctor, got hormone patches for, you know, really extremely bad PMS. And but I did all these courses too. Anger management, this is all off my own bed, you know, to try and well, I thought it was to try and fix the problems in my life, which was my family. <laughs> but I knew that my behaviour, my anger, my self-esteem, assertiveness courses, then I did all sorts of therapy, you know, gestalt, psychodrama, all sorts of therapy, heaps and heaps of parenting courses. Because I didn't want to... I didn't want to live the way that I had been brought up, and so I wanted to do something completely different with my kids. I, I didn't believe in smacking children I I knew that there was better ways and that that wasn't actually effective anyway and so you know I had these all of these philosophies around how to be a healthy parent and yet I'd find myself hitting my kids you know or throwing something or you know even once kicked a hole in a wall I broke a window you know I would do these things in the in the moment with this extreme anger when I wasn't getting my own way and but it actually really used to frighten me. And that was that sort of stuff that took me off to try and find out what was wrong with me. And, yeah, and it, and it doesn't matter what I did. There was only one good thing about all of that, because none of it worked for me, and there were good people that were trying to help me, is that it was ticking off other things off the list that didn't help. The parenting stuff were great, great, they were great good examples of what to do but I couldn't be consistent with it and you know now I understand that because I'm an addict that I can't manage my own life in that way. So was it that behaviour that finally made you look to a 12-step program Mm. or was it the eating getting worse? The the behaviour. It was the behaviour? Yeah. So it was actually um, my brother went to treatment for alcohol addiction. And he, when he came out of treatment, he said, I think you're the same as me. So I went to AA before I went, I came to um, our fellowship. But it was kind of all around that time something had happened. Because, you know, when every time... So I've been with my husband a long, long time, and we're really well suited but it was like I loved him or hated him. He just needed to wear something wrong, and then I hated him. Or he'd do something wrong, and i just think, okay, well, now I'm really, I've made a mistake here. You know, it was just like all this catastrophizing, And it was just this up and, up and down stuff. And he said since, he said, when you were good, Leanne, you were great. When you were bad, it was terrible. 
He was always trying to fix our family to have our family okay. And just this one time, he said to me, and I, I can't remember what had happened, but he said to me, I do want you to leave. And he said, I'm keeping the kids. Our kids were quite young. Uh, he said, I'm keeping the kids. And he said, if you try and take them, I'm going to take you to court and tell the court about what you're like. And in that moment, I knew that if he did that, I wouldn't have my children in my care. So it was that that took me to a 12-step fellowship. Because, I, because as I said, I'm multi-addicted. When I drank, I binged as well. So I'm, I'm addicted to alcohol as well. But I would say the food and that and the alcohol, I'd say the food was actually a stronger addiction than that, but I didn't recognise it at the time. But in that fellowship, I met people that were in Addictive Eaters Anonymous. And so when you put down a substance, um, this is my experience, the addiction I have, is that when you put down a substance, what else that's, that you're still addicted to will become really apparent. And so when I put down the alcohol and the drugs the food just became really, really out there. But people had made it known to me in, that, in AA that they were in our fellowship and had spoken to me about themselves, not telling me that they thought I was a food addict or an addictive eater. They just told me about themselves. And I really, really, really did not want to go to Addictive Eaters Anonymous because I have also heard that the last addiction is might be the hardest. I didn't want to have to stop doing what I was doing with the food because it was in some way sustaining me, giving me some sort of anaesthetic. That's what I thought. But it just got worse. It just got worse and eventually had to go. And so that's how I got there. I knew that the 12 steps worked because I had seen it working in these people and I'd also experienced it myself in AA. But I, I wasn't getting better and that's why I needed to come. I wonder why a 12-step fellowship doesn't work for all your addictions. I wonder why you have to go to different fellowships for different substances when surely you're more or less working the program mm-hmm. identically. What's your thinking well, around that? Well, I tried that. Right. I tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually really, really interesting that because we have sponsors, that's a person who's been sober longer to help us, guide us through the steps. And I had a sponsor. My sponsor in AA was also an Addictive Eaters Anonymous. So I had a spo- I had a sponsor. So I and I had talked to her about the food, and but I didn't really want to accept help around that. And so we just agreed that I wouldn't talk to her about it. So I tried to use the twelve steps in AA on my food addiction as well, and I couldn't manage it. I needed to be around people who had the same experience that I did around food, because I needed that identification. Yes. Yeah, and I also needed, around the substance of food as a, as a substance, I also needed help with how to manage that, because I didn't know how to do it. I had my own rules, and you know my experiences is that I came along to Addictive Eaters Anonymous, and I managed three meetings, because I really, I was really, really hostile. I didn't want to have to address the food addiction. And then I went away and tried it myself for about six months. And in that time, so for someone who I had probably lost about 10 kilos, it's probably a bit overweight. And and the weight is just another red herring, really. But when I left that time, I became anorexic, and I had never experienced that in my life before. I never vomited with the food. I tried it, but I couldn't do it. But after I came and went... 
then I developed a fear of eating. And it was nothing to do with Addictive Eaters Anonymous. It was just the disease in me, another control. You know, just like I controlled those crinkles of the chips, it was another control. This, um, I'm going to weigh myself and see how much weight I've put on, whether I can eat this thing, you know, this cake or something. And uh, and that just got worse and worse and worse. And, and I was starving myself and I couldn't change that. And I used to think, how can an intelligent... I had a good job, you know, because things had sort of gotten a bit better. I'd, when I come into AA, I had a good job. And I just thought, how can an intelligent person like me have, not be able to control what they put in their mouth? Not to be able to work out what their body needs for sustenance and my husband had never said anything negative about my body and he at that time said to me um, Leanne I'm actually really worried for your health I can see all the bones in your back Mm. and it was then that I went back and against all my because I really did not want to face it I, I came back and I stayed and that's been a long time now um yeah so that was it was kind of what brought me brought me to to Addictive Eaters Anonymous. So you're you're in a couple of twelve step fellowships, so you're you're in recovery, your life is different, your life is mm. better. Mm. You've seen all those behaviours change. Mm. And I mean we talk about that that's a higher power that takes that mm. away. Mm. Did you have a higher power when you came mm. in? No, I didn't, and it's it's really interesting about that too because just before I got into AA, I went to see a health professional because, you know, I'm still blaming my family. Um, and and he was someone that I knew, he had a reputation for being a really trusted person that knew, you know, had a, you know about addiction and families, and I knew, you know, my family was addicted. And he said to me, I can't fix you, and he was the one that directed me to the 12-step fellowships. He said, you know, what you've got I can't fix, but this is what you need. And he said, and you'll need a high power. And I said, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Oh, dear. Yeah. And he said, uh, which was so good, um, he said, Leanne, most people don't find it that hard to think of a power that's greater than themselves. He said, you just choose something for yourself and you work steps with that in mind. And that was, because I was pretty desperate then I actually it was actually really helpful to me and so I so that that thinking that I had was really really broad um and it's still it's just exactly the same so this was just this I went for we lived at the beach at the time and I went for a walk that night and I thought well whatever's pulling that tide in and out it's a power greater than myself I can't do that I don't know what does it um maybe that's my concept of a higher power and it's pretty much the same much more deeper now have much more of an experience of a higher power but that's that was the basis um yeah so so the 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 craving for the food I would say stayed with me for a couple of years at least after I came here but I didn't want to addictively eat that that was fundamentally the thing I knew that because of the other people sharing their experience and going to meetings and stuff, I, I knew that me eating in the way that I had was just going to make me sicker. And so I, I honestly did not want to do that, but I had a craving to do it, you know, 
probably for a couple of years, and I didn't need to do it. So the steps for me is that helping me, helping me, um, it, it's it's actually my higher power doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And the steps are the way of getting my my willpower and my ego out of the way, you know, because I'm pretty arrogant, you know, and um, and I just used to think it's never ever going to stop. And I I was in some ways for some of that I was fine with it, you know, I was fine with it. I just thought, well, if I always have a craving for food. At least I don't have to do that, and I'm living differently because my relationships were starting to be healed because I was utilising the steps with a sponsor to live a better life, and um, and then all of a sudden, and I can't tell you when, but I would say yeah, two or three years after, I just stopped wanting. I just stopped that craving for the food, and um, yeah, and it's like that now. And you know, before you came and visited today. You know, I was making some jam for my husband, um, and I, t- I actually took a photo of it because it was so beautiful, the colour. You know, out of our garden too, because we've got a big garden. Um, and there's not one thing in me that wants to eat that jam, and um, but I can appreciate it. You know, I I can cook for my husband and not want to eat, and um, that's a miracle to me, and um, something that I couldn't have ever. Well, I, I didn't know whether it was possible for me, but it has happened, yeah. It is a miracle. You know, and hearing your story is, is just, you know, evidence of that miracle. So what would your suggestion be to somebody who is caught in the eating and the up and down mm-hmm. difficulties with life, feeling like there's something wrong? Mm-hmm. What do you suggest? Well, I would, um, I would suggest uh, coming to a meeting and giving us a ring. Uh, and you know, for some people, giving us a ring means that we can have a chat about it. You know, and um, because it's it's a big step to take. But the great thing is, is that you, you're completely. You don't have to. You know, it's completely voluntary. Everything. You know, I do. I don't have to do it. It's what I want to do. So I, I would suggest if if you've got a problem with food, um, if that's making you feel that that it's affecting your life in any way personally, um, then I would suggest giving us a, a ring. And um, we call it the, the steps as a treatment. That what what has happened for me is that living that lifestyle that the step, steps gives me means that. Um, I, I don't have to, I'm not searching for something to, to change me, you know, the addictions, you know, the alcohol, the food, the shoplifting, all of those things. I don't, I'm, I'm quite fine in my own skin. Um, so it just gives me peace. And I've always wanted that. I always used to say to my husband, I just want to be happy. And I didn't actually know what that meant, you know. And I would say happiness is not what I used to think it is. You know, getting you know ecstatic about something because you're eating a chocolate cake or whatever. It's actually just being comfortable in your own skin and actually um, having relationships around you that you know I'm not hurting anyone. And you know my relationships have been restored. I've got little grandchildren now, um, and you know I just know that I would not be emotionally available to them if I was eating like I was, 
because of the turmoil that was inside of me. I just wouldn't, yeah. Thank you so much, Leanne. That has been so lovely, hearing a tiny wee snippet of your incredible story of recovery. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you have heard anything today which you've related to or would like to know more about us, please go to our website, www.aeanz.org. There are three meetings a week in Christchurch, as well as a monthly worldwide meeting on Zoom. A podcast of our show will be available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. Our show goes out on the fourth Monday of each month at midday. Thank you for listening, and I trust you go well. Until we catch up next month on Addictive Eaters Anonymous on air, Plains FM 96.9.